Hello, and welcome to the Shepherds and Kings podcast. My name is Jacob Trelor, and I'm the founder and the host of this podcast. If this is your first time listening, thanks for stopping by. And if you've listened before, we're glad you're back. The goal here is to be the best shepherd or king that God has called you to be. And how we do that is find our priorities, line them up, and then do them to the best of our ability with God's help. And it looks like all kinds of different things, maybe um, assessing an area that we are weak in or getting some help from a brother or uh, learning a concept we hadn't thought about before. But either way, we are striving to be the man that God has called us to be. Our guest today is Chuck Harding, and he is the founder of Mission to America, which is uh, he basically is a missionary to those on Capitol Hill, the politicians and lawmakers. He uh, is there to, first of all, try to witness to them and lead them to Christ, but also to be a bridge between uh, pastors and other religious leaders um, to those lawmakers there. And of course, it's very appropriate that this uh, this interview not only comes out on on Memorial Day 2020, but also uh, at, on the tail end of, it, it seems to be on the tail end anyway, of, uh, of this coronavirus. And um, some of the things we talk about touch on uh, our, our attitude towards our leadership and how we're supposed to respond, but then also as a man, uh, finding the time and place to stand when it's necessary. And so uh, just an incredibly historic, uh, informative conversation, but also very practical, helpful. And of course, you can hear his years of wisdom coming through as he uh, talks about uh, something he's incredibly passionate about, our country, and uh, making it the best nation that it can possibly be uh, for Christ. Um, Before we get to that, I'd like to first thank our sponsors, Clean 5110. If you have not yet gone and checked them out, please do. Clean5110.com. Use the code SHEPHERD to get 10% at checkout. Uh, again, it was one of the issues we talk about in this interview is uh, abortion. And what Clean 5110 uh, promotes is a clean lifestyle, but also a pro-life uh, lifestyle. So please go check them out um, at the end of this interview or while you're listening to it. Without further ado, Chuck Harding. Our guest today is Chuck Harding. He is a missionary evangelist to our great country, America. Uh, but not only that, he's a preacher, a singer, an author. Uh, a husband and a father. Uh, Brother Harding, it's good to have you on the show today. Jacob, it's great to be with you today, and uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, it's our pleasure to be talking to you. Um, can you give us a little bit, jump right into what, what it is you do, your, uh, your mission field, Mission to America, what the ministry is all about, and kind of how you got to this point? Sure. Well, about 17 years ago, my pastor, knowing my background, understanding that I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, worked very closely with the government and of course knew my Bible called to preach and that had a a good grasp on American history, said, uh, you need to pray about a God and country ministry because our country is in trouble and it's gonna wax worse and worse, of course, very biblical. And so understanding that my pastor uh, was very spiritual man and I believe in pastoral authority, I prayed that night, and sure enough, I had a complete insurance, complete assurance the next day that that's what God wanted me to do. And so I told him, I said, uh, that is what I believe the Lord would have me do. And he said, fine, you can start transitioning out of the positions that you hold here as associate pastor, 
administrator of a large Christian school. I taught mm-hmm. in our college. Uh, I taught a large adult Sunday school class. And so little by little, <clears throat> I started transitioning out of that. And then I started to pray and ask God how he wanted me to go about a God and country ministry because no one in our circles was doing this at right. that time. And it was completely, you might say, a, uh, a new field, a, a new path to follow the Lord. So I went to the Bible, I went to my knees, and I realized five things. I realized, number one, in order to connect the people of God with the people of government, we needed to get educated as to how unique we were and are. The fact that America is no better than any other nation as far as we as Americans but because we had a founding aspect of our nation. Our founding fathers said there is a God, and God gives us certain unalienable rights. And then they gave us a, of course, declaration to that effect. And it wasn't only a declaration of independence from the tyrannical government of Great Britain. It was a declaration of dependence upon God, where they said with firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence. Mm -hmm we will mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And then, of course, the Constitution of the United States, which is amazing, miraculous governmental document because it's based upon the Bible, and it's the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of mankind, and yet it's the shortest in the verbiage, in in the words that are put down there. So it is a unique document because it has 28 biblical principles embedded within it from God's word. And so we need to get educated as to who we are. Uh, I heard a story about a senator that was elected uh, and uh, he was feeling very good about himself and he was going around visiting all his constituents and everyone was recognizing him. Oh, Mr. Senator, good to have you back, you know, for a few more years here. Well, they were going by a nursing home. He said, let's go and visit some of the elderly. I know they voted for me as well. And so he walked in and there was a patient right by the nursing station And again, feeling very good about himself, walked up and said, you know who I am? She said, oh, honey, don't worry about that. Ask the nurse. She'll tell you who you are. (laughs) And that's basically who we are. Uh, We we are suffering from dementia because we no longer understand that we are the only other nation in the history of mankind, aside from the nation of Israel, that started from the premise of the truth of God's word. Many other nations have come to the truth but they've come to it, they didn't start with it. Even Great Britain with their great missionary efforts of yesteryear, they didn't start with the truth. They came to the truth. And so we need to get educated, number one. Number two, we need to get engaged. That means we need to interface with our government. Now, Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that when we look at our document, our documents begin with we the people. So I ask this question all the time, Jacob, where does the government sit? And I'm in churches, colleges, whatever. And, uh, well, people say, well, it sits in the nation's capital where you live, uh, Brother Harding, or it sits uh, here in our state capital or our city councils. And I say, you know, that's where you would think it sits. But I'm looking at the government because we, the people, are the government. And we, as God's people, especially, need to interface with those people that actually represent the government, which is us, those duly elected public servants, and they are servants, and uh, 
But the more we disconnect from them and don't engage, the more I think some of them begin to think that they are the new aristocracy instead of the servants of the people and to the constitution and to their constituents. And of course, always supposed to be connected with biblical principles, which our nation is based upon. And so a lot of times I've even heard some of our brethren, Jacob, that have said, well, it's not spiritual to be involved in politics or to be connected with politics. And I'll ask them, well, if that's true, then would you tell me who Joseph in Egypt was if he wasn't a political appointee? Sure. Or how about Daniel in Babylon? Yeah. Was he not a political appointee? Well, you know, Dr. Harding, we mean that we're not supposed to be speaking against the leadership of our country. Uh, I said, well, if that's true, then tell me who was Samuel, who basically told King Saul, God's rent the kingdom from you. And Nathan, who told David, thou art the man. And uh, Mm -hmm. Elijah, that told wicked King Ahab. Uh, you're the one that's troubling Israel. And even John the Baptist in the New Testament that told Herod, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. And so God's people have always been connected with the governmental aspects of our country. And when we disconnect, that's where we start really having problems. So the people of God and the people of government, that's the second thing, to engage and to graciously let them know we're praying for them. We're exhorted to do that in First, Second uh, Timothy, and First Timothy, and and then we're also supposed to, you know, uh, graciously with the right position yeah, yeah. and the right disposition, kind of remind them uh, this is the Constitution. This is what we want you to do. We want you to adhere to the Constitution, and if they go astray, then it's up to us to point that out. And if we don't, no one else will. And that's where we are today, where we really don't know our constitution. So we don't know how to point out the errors of our governance and things continue to spiral downhill. And so when we get educated and then we get engaged, we need to number three, entreat God's mercy. And that is simply asking God to have mercy upon our country. Uh, because right now we're over 60 million babies that we've murdered under the guise of abortion. Yeah where Nazi Germany killed in the highest estimations between six and 12 million. And we're at 60 million. That's atrocious. That is completely hellacious sin. So we need to ask and treat God for mercy upon our country because he says he doesn't pardon the shedding of innocent blood. Mm -hmm. But uh, what he says is this in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. And so we need to ask God to have mercy upon our country and ask God for direction, and ask God to, you know, please help our president and vice president, and the cabinet members, and the cabinet rank members, and Supreme Court justices, and the other federal uh, justices, and these types of things. And so, sorry about that background noise there. Okay. And then, you know, uh, the the members of Congress and uh, all of the different people in government. We are, as First Timothy says we're exhorted to supplicate, pray, intercede, and give thanks for all those folks that are in authority over us, that Mm -hmm. we may lead a quiet, peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Come to the truth. 
sorry, I was gonna say, do you find that it's difficult in your talking to people to get them to pray for a political leader that they maybe disagree with? You know, sometimes it is, and then I explain to them, uh, no matter what you think of them, if they are a left-wing ideologue, you have to remember they're not the enemy, uh, they're the patient. And the reason why these people are taking the stance that they are taking is because they don't have or have not been influenced by a biblical, uh, truthful aspect of life. And I mean, it's just, it's kind of interesting where God says uh, that, you know, the Holy Spirit, okay, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so we sing that song, My Country Tis of thee, it should really actually be named in our vernacular of today, our country, God is because of you, a sweet land of liberty. We talk about the author of liberty. Well, the author of liberty is the Holy Spirit of God that lives through men and women who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And so when we look at these things and understand that it also says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness on him, neither can he know them. What that tells us is this, the natural man is blinded to the things of liberty. If the author of liberty is the Holy Spirit, and the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, then how else are we going to, you know, come to the, uh, you know, decision, why are they against the life of the unborn and against traditional family and against, uh, you know, the free market system and uh, you know, all of these things that America were based upon seems like some of the folks that we have allowed to be elected <laughs> yeah. are, are completely adverse. Well, that's why it right. all comes back to biblical principle that is either being lived out through the life of an individual or an individual is blinded. And so when I explain that to people, then I say, you need to pray for these folks that they come to the to a knowledge of the truth, and truth has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. He said, I am I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so when we go into Washington, D.C., we are giving tracts out, gospel tracts that I have written to, uh, along with my wife, that brings people there in Washington from where they are to where they need to be, and talks about one is the foundations, foundations of our nation's capital, foundations of uh, our governance, and then the foundation of the soul, which is Jesus Christ. So it kind of brings them along. So we need to reach out to these people and understand when we entreat God and his mercy upon our country, we also need to entreat God for the souls of men. And that's why our mission field uh, is Capitol Hill mm-hmm. and why we go through, you might say, the halls of power and speak truth to power but graciously, and and then tell them, look, we honor the office that you fulfill in leadership. We may not honor their stance, Jacob. You know, we may not honor their approach to what they believe is the right uh, laws to pass, which many of them, of course, are completely adverse to our Constitution, way of life, the, the American exceptionalism that we do hold. But we need to continue to understand they need to come to the truth. And so we are there and presenting the truth to them. And so when we get educated and we get engaged and we treat, and treat God's mercy upon our country and 
ask him for those doors, those great doors and effectual that are opened unto us. Then the next thing is we need to encourage others. And so that's what I do. I host pastors week after week, state after state, all year long. And small groups, uh, there is a, uh, a, <clears throat> a former ministry that I established, and they're doing a once-a-year large venue, which is great and brings pastors to the realization that these people are accessible. And I go to the next step, and I bring pastors in and take them to the vice president's Bible study and take them to and through the White House and uh, tour through the Capitol, and I can I can talk to them. I, I drive them down in a, a, an SUV that the Lord provided. I answer questions and, and speak to them about, you know, different questions that they might have and walk in with them. And we create what is called a prayer partnership with these senators and or congressmen. Mm-hmm. And we let them know, here's our, here's our phones. Here's our, our, uh, texts uh, that you can reach out to us and just ask us to pray for you. If it's something personal, we'll go to no one but God. If it's a political necessity, we'll share it with congregations of the people so that you can have the right way in which to proceed. And so that you can understand perhaps that we are your constituents and we want to be a part of this if you so desire. We do pray for you. We're commanded, exhorted to do that, but we'd like to pray with you. And you wouldn't believe the types of texts that we have received from congressmen that say, look, I'm going to be meeting with the president tomorrow. Would you pray? Uh, This is my first one-on-one meeting with him, and I would like to be able to articulate exactly what is needed to help him to help our country. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and so there's a myriad of things. And so that prayer partnership is something that we do. And then, of course, I take them on a little Christian heritage tour through Washington, D.C., as I say, uh, perhaps a tour through the White House or the Capitol. But I help them to understand how miraculous America is. And it is because God has given us this country, not through a revolutionary war, but through a great revival that happened here in the latter 16 uh, into the 1700s that so completely changed our colonial population that we had the wherewithal to, to realize that rebellion to tyranny is obedience to God and that <laughs> going up against the greatest military yeah. in the world yeah. How on earth were we going to do that? Well, as our founders said, and as many people echoed it, what they did was they realized they went back to plan B, where Israel at one time, of course, being a theocracy, but a republic as well, multi-layered representational government that it talks about in Exodus 18 and verse 21, we're not a theocracy, but we're not a democracy either. We're a republic, and we fashioned that republic from Israel. And Israel's, you might say, king was Jehovah. And, of course, they voted him out when they did away with the judge system. They said, we want a man to yeah. rule over us, you know, in first, uh, uh, excuse me, in First Samuel chapter 8. And, uh, and that's what our founding fathers did. They went back to plan A. 
And when the whole world, Jacob, this is amazing truth right right here. When the whole world was under a monarchy system, they said 56 men stepping out of the humdrum of history, they said, um, we no longer want a king over us. And the cry went out after the Declaration of Independence was signed and ratified. No king, but King Jesus. And so that is an amazing aspect of the miracle that is America, that they knew it wasn't that God was on their side, is that they were on God's side. And they said, in so many words, we're going to take the sovereign of man's souls and once again, make him a sovereign of a nation. And that's why we have the motto in God we trust. That's why we have yeah. presiding officials kind of fashioned after the judges of yesteryear of the Old Testament, all there for a certain amount of time. And they're supposed to be connected with God. And, uh, and so we know, obviously, some of them have, have been much more connected than others. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, again, this, uh, that's the, uh, the, the next aspect, you might say, is in treating others. Um, to to come, entreating God and encouraging others to come. But we do those four things. We, number one, get educated. Number two, get engaged with our government. Number three, entreat God's mercy over our country. Number four, encourage others, pastors and their people to get involved as well. But we do those four things. We can do the fifth and most important aspect of Mission to America, and that is to keep the civil liberty maintained so the spiritual liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ can go forward. And that's the last one, to evangelize the lost. And we know the most important thing for a Christian is to glorify God, to love up, and then to love out. To love God, and then to love others, and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so that's the five-point premise of mission to America, Jacob. That's really, really good. Um, are there sort of a side point? Are there some specific resources that you would recommend um, for those who want to get more educated or more engaged? Um, you know, like voting guides or just uh, spe- specific history lessons or YouTube channels or whatever uh, that you would recommend? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, of course, uh, I would recommend uh, our site, Mission to America US. So mission mission to America, and that's a T-O dot U-S, and that will give you the hundred documents that made America. I have a recommended reading list there as well. And then, of course, there's other resources such as I do videos, uh, about a two-minute video called A Moment for America, where I explain and kind of uh, give a, uh, you might say, uh, an appetizer to people uh, to create a a greater hunger uh, for there are deeper things of our nation, uh, right. the difference between a democracy and republic, what the free market is versus uh, a uh, socialistic approach to socialized medicine and et cetera, uh, why we are the greatest nation on earth. And so uh, our website, uh, missiontoamerica.us, is a very, very good resource, has uh, all kinds of uh, different governmental people that we should be praying for every day and concepts of our of our country. And, and uh, then, of course, I always recommend that people get a copy of the Constitution and read mm. it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we are 
the uh, nation that has the highest standard of living in the world. And, yeah. and so why? Well, it's because we live by biblical principles. And every time those biblical principles are shored up, uh, then, of course, our nation's economy goes up. And a lot of times people say, well, look, just, uh, just the economy. I said, well, here, Thomas Jefferson said something very interesting. He said, economy and the wealth of a nation actually shows how free those people are. Because mm -hmm. the more choices you have, the more freedom you have. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, sure. And how can we kind of, uh, you might say, uh, see how many choices? Well, one good barometer is wealth. The more wealth you have, the more choices you have. Yeah. And, uh, and so we need to understand that the wealth of a nation is something that is uh, quite an amazing thing. So can you give us some, you've been working with Capitol Hill now, you said 17 years? Yes. Or so. Uh, what are some of the top two or three maybe stories of just amazing things you've seen God work or just amazing responses you've had or something like that? What are some of the things that you've been able to see God do? Well, one of the greatest things, that tangible results, you might say, of a God and country ministry would be that right now there are nine states that have passed a heartbeat bill. That means when a baby's heart starts beating with just within a few weeks of conception, that it's illegal for a doctor to end that life. Yeah. And so approximately in every state that protects about a hundred babies. Okay. A hundred preborn babies. All right. Now before uh, pastors really started getting involved and, and then the state capital initiatives that also I founded and, uh, and helped to develop through some friends of mine who took it and really, really ran forward with it. And now pastors are, in fact, I had pastor call me from Mississippi and uh, said, we just passed another heartbeat bill here. And I want to thank you because had you not gotten me involved through the ministry that God called you to, this would have never happened because I was the point of the spear to get it through. Yeah. And so uh, let's just say this, a hundred babies protected now every day in nine states. So think about walking into a room and there's 900 people there and they all turn to you and say, whatever you did to help get this heartbeat bill passed, whatever you did as far as praying, supporting a God and country ministry, or doing something yourself, such as calling about this bill and making sure that you had a part in getting it passed. I want to thank you for my life. You walk out of that room, you walk into another room the next day, there's 900 different people, and they all tell you the same thing. Let's say at the end of the year, you walk into a stadium, okay? And the stadium is filled with 328,500 people cheering. That is 900 babies per day times 365 days. So right now, with only nine states that have passed a heartbeat bill, 328 1,500 babies each year are being protected. Powerful. So there's one 
amazing, miraculous, tangible. Now, and for the first time, Jacob, since 1973, we have a very good chance, very, very good chance of seeing Roe v. Wade repealed and handed back to the states. If that happens, I think, very conservatively speaking, 30 states will say you don't have an abortion here, sorry. And there are people that say, well, that's just gonna make it less convenient. A woman can go to another state. 98% of abortions are out of pure convenience. Mm. And 83% of women who have seen a sonogram of their children don't go through with the abortion because they realize it's not a fetus, it's a baby, it's a human being. And so that is one of the most miraculous things I have seen. Amazing. As far as a tangible result. Here's another one where I've seen the men and women that I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this interview will watch on the news or hear over some type of radio program. And they have called us. They've called me specifically and said, what's your biblical take on this? Or, hey, um, when we go into an office and we say, you got five minutes. How about two minutes? I can just have a word of prayer for you. I don't know how many times I've done that. And it's, and I've stuck out my hand to shake this man's hand and he's come over and given me a bear hug instead. So wow. you have no idea what this means to me. And anytime you're here, I want you to come and pray for me. I've, I've had that done over and over and over again. And where men and women, I mean, I walked into... Actually, I was walking down the hall with uh, with two other men one day, and they said, you're not just going to think you're going to walk into a senator's office and ask if they'll come out and uh, and give you a few minutes to pray. I said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's see. And so I walked into an office just a few steps away and introduced myself. And uh, I said, look, is the senator here? I just want to have a few moments to pray. And sure enough, in a few moments, that senator came walking down the hall and said, Dr. Harding, said, do you have something that you would like me to pray with you about? And that senator said, yes, I just had a friend who was diagnosed with cancer. Could we pray for them? I said, certainly. And we just bowed our head right there and prayed. You see, these people in Washington, D.C., Jacob, they are the same as we are, with burdens away from their families many times, a lot of people say, well, they live the high life. A lot of them actually live in their offices, sleep in their offices. And they have, you know, rooms uh, that are like uh, exercise rooms and showers there within sure. the capital. But many of them don't even have a townhouse here. They don't want a second home. They sleep in their office. They are true servants and they are walking back after a hard day of great opposition, perhaps. Their family's not there to support them. They walk back all alone. And these people need us to pray for them. So to see how you might say it changes their whole day, where I've been told by chief of staffs, this is the best meeting they'll have all week. I've been told face-to-face by people way up in the congressional echelon. When you're here, Dr. Harding, I really appreciate it because 
I think more about biblical principles than party platforms. Wow. And so these are some of the things that I've seen that are just, to me, Jacob, over the top. Uh, and, and I know it's not me. I'm just holding on to God's coattails and enjoying the ride. Sure. It's him. It's all him. But, you know, it's wonderful. It's heart-touching. It is thrilling to be used by God in our nation's capital and then in other state capitals. I spoke recently in, in two other uh, state capitals uh, with pastors that, have, that came to just simply walk around and, and uh, let these people know that they're praying for them and they prayed with them. And, and uh, so these are the type of things that uh, it has been uh, simply amazing that God has worked through this ministry. And hey, I, I, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would ever be involved in this type of ministry. It's only because of my pastor that said, you need to pray about this God and country ministry. And so I, I'm just following God's calling. I have a calling on my life as, as much as any other missionary to any foreign field. And it came from a meeting where I sat with a former attorney general who is a born-again believer by the name of John Ashcroft. Mm. And he said in 2010 to myself and two pastors that I brought with me, and I was asked by a, uh, a man to bring two pastors with me, and I, I actually brought three and a couple others. And this is what John Ashcroft said. He said, you know, we plant churches all over the United States, and so we should, to preach the gospel. And from those churches, we send out missionaries all over the world to preach the gospel, and so we should. He said, but you understand, there's no missionaries to Capitol Hill. And if we don't start reaching into Capitol Hill with the gospel, very soon we will be fettered, restricted, to reach out to our country and the world with the gospel. We need missionaries coming to Capitol Hill. Well, I was already in a God and country ministry for seven years at this time. God said, okay, now this is the next step. This is the next facet yeah. of your ministry. And so I relocated to the Washington DC area. I actually grew up here. I was living in Oklahoma at the time, but I relocated to Washington, D.C., this was uh, going on eight years ago now, actually. And uh, I started just basically answering the call as a missionary. And, and uh, I'm supported like any other missionary. Uh, I do, on the weekends, uh, go out and help pastors and preach God and country services. And uh, they're evangelistic in nature, but it is definitely uh, to the understanding that God gave us the United States of America for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why America is, to be a friend to Israel and to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is going all the way back to our pilgrim forefathers that said they came here by the will of God to establish a nation for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's, you might say, carrying on the heritage 
and that we've been given. I've had, I've had guys say, wow, this is a really new ministry. I said, what do you mean? No, it's not. He said, well, you know, guys have said, you know, these, these God and country messages that you're preaching, they're really new. I said, no, no. Uh, the aspect of God and country in a message is very old, right. as old as the Bible. In fact, you go to the Declaration of Independence, Jacob, and it's nothing but excerpts of sermons that had been preached for decades leading up to the Declaration of Independence. And so our nation was based upon a group of unsung heroes, because we always look to the founding fathers, and they were great men. I'm not taking anything from them. They were amazing men. But the reason why they, wealthy, settled in character and reputation, I mean, these educated, and many of them American royalty being of the gentry class, and we don't, even, we don't even know what that was. These men had an element of sacrifice that they received from the heroes of the war for independence as much as they were, which were the men of God that took the word of God and through the Holy Spirit of God, preached about the Son of God and instilled in our founding fathers a sacred fire of sacrifice where when it came time, they were willing to put everything on the line. And these were the, look, Jacob, these were the multi-billionaires of yesteryear. Sure. These, these were men, men that had unimaginable wealth, comparatively speaking, to uh, today's standards, and they were willing to give it all up. You know, the gentry class, when, when they said all men are created equal, what a lot of people don't realize that part of that statement meant they were turning their back on that classification system that they were in because you couldn't buy your way into the gentry class. You couldn't marry into the gentry class. You had to be a gentry. It was American royalty, but they turned their back on that because this is what they said. Our concern is the common man. And too many times, you know, the, the two types of ideologies that we see today is this. There is, number one, an ideology in the political realm, in the body politic, that wants to control man. And that's the left wing that tries to say, oh, we're so compassionate. No, no, no. They're not compassionate. They want to control. Mm -hmm. And then there is the conservative or, or right wing that is accused of not being compassionate. They're the very ones that are compassionate because their concern is for the individual to, to cut the taxes, to, to create businesses, to bring businesses back to America, to put America back to work. And it's just amazing to me that more people don't see this. It's just glaring. But, it, you know, again, it all goes to the point where, the natural man, you know, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're, fool, they're foolishness on it. Neither can he know. They're blinded. There's no way you can describe color to a blind man. You know, yeah. I, had, I, had a, I had a cousin. His name was Johnny. And at five years old, I unthinkingly to my 10-year-old blind cousin said, oh, the sky is so blue. The grass is so green. We were on our grandmother's porch. Jacob, I can still remember. My blind cousin looked at me and said, What's green? And at five years old, I tried to put green into words. Jacob, I couldn't describe green to him. Mm. Because 
truth can't be explained. It has to be revealed. Right. So it's not really even the left wing versus the right wing. It's the righteousness of God fighting and the spiritual battle against the falsehoods of old smutty face, the devil. That's right. You mentioned a couple of times too, just about, you know, the natural man. And, and you've talked a lot about blindness. I think that's an incredibly accurate, you know, picture of, of some of the politics that we have going on. It's just blindness. Right. It is. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your perspective as you travel, uh, then your interactions with, with those on Capitol Hill about manhood in general, um, and I know that's sort of two different topics because there's, you know, the Christian manhood and then there's like, the, you know, we talked about the natural manhood, but just maybe if there's an overarching thing that you've seen um, that men in general should be concerned about. And, and from your perspective, of, again, of traveling and interacting with some of these politicians. Well, a manhood, number one, of course, from a biblical standpoint, uh, a man is supposed to be a leader mm-hmm. too many times in our country. We've given up that leadership on various levels and allowed others to, you know, take that because, of course, when there's a vacuum, something fills the vacuum, doesn't it? Yeah. And so, you know, manhood is taking the leadership. It's being able to to stand and to stand graciously and to stand with the truth. And, you know, it goes back to things that I think about uh, where we look at what is standing. Okay. Well, standing is of course uh, someone that is erect. They are, you know, they're looking forward. They are not just uh, looking around them, but they get a perspective of what's coming, what has been. And I think, you know, when we look at manhood, we need to understand from whence we came. You know, we need to realize what our history is. Our history is his story, God's. And and when we look at where we have been, we understand where we are. And then we'll have the wisdom to know how to proceed into the future. I think that's very much part of being a man is having a circumspect walk and being able to lead not to push, but to lead graciously. I remember a story of uh, over in one of the Scottish villages and someone came up that uh, saw this man and he was uh, basically pushing this, this herd of, of uh, sheep. And they said, look, um, you're going to really destroy our, a tourist industry here by you're, you're being very mean to your sheep. Are you the shepherd? You're supposed to be out in front. You're supposed to be leading them. He said, I'm not the shepherd. I'm the butcher. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm leading them to the, I'm pushing them to the slaughterhouse. Yeah. And you know, too many times I think men say, well, look, I demand respect. No, no, we don't demand respect. We earn respect And, and we don't push people. We lead people. You try to push people into corners. What happens? You have a fight on your hands. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to be wise because we're going to have, have enough battles as it is <clears throat> without wringing the nose, which bringeth forth blood. Yeah. So being a man is standing up with the truth, sometimes standing alone with the truth. 
and not being afraid of what man can do. Hey, the fear of man bringeth a snare. To be a man, we can't be afraid of men. To be a true man, we need to stand up. And when other people may unjustly criticize us or try to, you know, accuse us, we need to understand a few things. Okay. Who is the, who is the great accuser? <laughs> yeah, right. The great accuser is the devil. Yeah. So we shouldn't be the one that's accusing anyone of anything. We should be the ones that stand up even amidst of accusations and realize that God doesn't give us the spirit of fear. We don't want to be ensnared by men. Big problem with men today, they're too afraid of the culture. Sure. They're too, too afraid of what other people are going to think. If Winston Churchill was afraid of what other people think, may I say Britain would, Britain would have fallen and we would have fought the Nazis and the Japanese on our soil, on the contiguous United States. Mm -hmm. But Churchill stood up alone with truth when his own war cabinet wanted to actually sue for peace with wow. Mussolini, through Mussolini to Hitler. And, and what I, I really, I love this about Winston Churchill. Uh, and I just, I love the character that he was in history. You oh, yeah. know, he, he was very outspoken. In fact, one time he had a nemesis by the name of Lady Astor. She didn't like his outspokenness. And she at a, at a little reception one time said, Sir Winston, if you were my husband, I should put poison in your tea. He <laughs> said, Lady Astor, if you were my wife, I should drink it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, but uh, Winston Churchill's, told his war cabinet after going to the people of England and realizing that they did not ever want to surrender to any type of foe, he said to this war cabinet, there will be no surrender. And he stood up and made that famous speech in parliament. And when Winston Churchill stood up, the entire nation of Great Britain stood up with him. Mm -hmm. And so as a man, we need to make sure that even though there are accusations, there are people that will, you know, it says there's a great door effectual has been opened unto me and there's many adversaries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, hey, we are gonna be criticized, Jacob. You know, there we're gonna be criticized with people that don't understand, but hey, as a man, we stand up and we realize God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I think what's going on today in this COVID situation, uh, we have a lot of people that are afraid. Yeah. You know, and, and look, to whatever extent you're afraid, you're diminished in your power, in your love, and in your sound mind. People aren't thinking right, right, right sure. now. Sure. And, and, and they don't have the power of their own personage, you might say, and they don't have the love for people. They're hoarding and, you know, let's go out and, and there's people fighting in grocery stores, this sort of thing. Why? Because it's fear. Well, look, the problem is just that it's fear. And we do not have to be afraid because we belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he, God, is the truth. So we stand with truth, and we never really stand alone because we stand with truth. And that's part of being a man, standing 
standing graciously and looking at where we are from where we were and how to proceed to where we need to go and not with fear, leading graciously and helping people to understand here is the standard of truth. And yeah. what we as men need to be are truly standard bearers. Too many times men have become bystanders. Right. We need to pick up the standard. And we do that through and by having God's word ingrained in our mind and our heart, having a biblical worldview and being able not to go along with the things, but to be more a you might say pathfinder mm -hmm. and we always need to be looking at the path. Now, how do we find the path through God's word? I know this is very biblical and maybe drawing some analogies here, but Hey, the, the word of God is the light into our path. And so as men, we, we go to God's word, it lights up the path. We stand up and we say, this is the way we are standing with truth. Here we go. And people will follow. I'll guarantee yeah. we have the truth. People will follow whole movements have started this way. Uh, whole uh, aspects of, again, getting involved with our country have started this way with very few people that have right. stood up. You, you have no idea for the first two and a half, three years of this ministry. <laughs> I would, I was told we don't need this kind of a ministry, brother Hardy. Wow. We, we don't, we don't need it for two and a half, three years. I was all by myself with my wife and myself. That was it. And really, I was all by myself because, you know, a man lives within himself, so to speak, you know, and uh, the decisions that I was making, they were lean and mean years. But my wife said, look, um, no matter what we hate, need to do to sacrifice for this ministry, I'm with you. She's a good woman. And uh, I said, we may have to spend everything we have because no one's going to understand for a while what I'm trying to do. Wow. She said, uh, you know, our founders gave everything they had. So I guess we can give everything we have. And by comparison, it wasn't anything to what they gave as far as wealth went. That's for sure. Sure. Because our full-time Christian service. But yeah. <clears throat> we spent our little uh, nest egg that we had for retirement. And uh, I've never looked back since. So people say, do you have retirement? Yep. It's out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's nothing wrong with uh with men that have put aside for retirement i've just not been one of them because i have taken what god has given and put it into this ministry because i realized something that we need to keep our nation and the civil liberty that it provides we need to keep it maintained retained because it's the very thing that gives us the permission to accomplish the great commission, which is the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so, Hey, you know, I've, uh, I remember that, you know, at first, but those same men that said, we don't need this ministry have written me letters have called and said, thank you for not listening to me. Thank you for going forward. And I said, well, I could, I only was able to do what I knew God wanted me to do. And part of being a man is no matter what anyone else says or does or criticizes, you continue to do what God 
wants you to do. It's God's will, not man's way. And yeah. once man does that, I'll guarantee you, God will continue to go before him, empower him, light his path, and allow others to follow freely, understanding this man knows God's plan. And just like those men that signed the Declaration of Independence, they did it because they believed is what God wanted them to do. And there was an old pastor among them. I don't know if you ever heard of John Witherspoon. Uh, I believe I've heard the name, but I don't know John, much about him. John Witherspoon was, uh, he was the only pastor that actually signed the Declaration of Independence, the only pastor there. He was um, from New Jersey and uh, probably knew, you know, what the Jersey Shore was, you know, we won't go there. <laughs> he, was a, he was a New Jersey guy and a very, very well-known pastor and actually had educated a lot of men that had a part in the formulation of the Declaration of Independence. So here's, here's the setting as far as being a man goes, okay? It's a hot day. It's in July. It's in Philadelphia, Freedom Hall. There is a animal skin on a table. We would call it parchment. It's mm -hmm. been stretched and basically uh, formulated to accept ink. Uh, the words that Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Ben Franklin, <clears throat> the editors, have finalized it. It's there and it's ready for signatures, okay? It's got a goose quill pen sitting next to it and a bottle of ink. And there's 56 men in the room. And John Witherspoon, sensing the urgency of the moment, he rose, and this is what he said, quote, there is a tide in the affairs of men, a nick of time. We perceive it now before us, to hesitate is to consent to our own slavery, that noble instrument upon the table, which ensures notability to its author, should be subscribed this very morning by every pen in this house. He that will not respond to its accents and strain every nerve to carry into effect its provisions is unworthy of the name free man. For my own part, a property I have some, reputation more. Well, he was being humble there because everyone knew who John, Dr. John Witherspoon was. He said that reputation is staked and that property is pledged on the issue of this contest. And although these gray hairs must soon descend into the sepulcher, I would infinitely rather that they descend thither by the hand of the executioner than desert at this crisis the sacred cause of my country. End quote. And when he sat down, <clears throat> those men stood up one by one, came over, took that goose quill pen, dipped it into the ink, and affixed their names, their signatures to that parchment. And we today, Jacob, you and I, as men, and the rest of our country, still benefit from the words that were put on the skin of an animal and signatures that were fixed by the feather of a bird because these men 
were men and that stood up when the whole world knew they thought that the divine right of kings was true. And they said, no, the divine right of kings is not biblical. Mm. The divine right of the king of kings is. And I love Patrick Henry when he gave that. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. You know? And they, they yelled at him, treason. He said, if it's treason, let us make the most of it. My allegiance <laughs> is to a higher king than the king of England, to the king of kings. And those types of things resonate down through, you might say, the ribbon of history to where we are today. And I hope encourage us as men to stand up no matter what, to stand sometimes alone with truth, because a man that stands alone with truth and doesn't huddle into, you might say, the, uh, the masses of cultural centeredness, those are the men that are going to be remembered, not the men that acquiesce because they basically are concerned about what other men may say or think. Yeah. That to me is part of being a man, a part of it anyway. Well, it's it's an incredibly phenomenal description. I know I'm going to go look up that uh, that quote by John Witherspoon after this, and you know maybe put it somewhere in my house. I don't know. That's really inspiring. Um, I appreciate the time you've taken. I just have uh, one more question. Um, if you have a couple more minutes still, but um, so you know, with you, you've talked about leading and kind of standing, but you also talked about leading graciously. Um, how can a man, even in like politics and religion, like find that balance? You know, I know folks sometimes tend to be overly political or, you know, overly religiously zealous and not involved in politics at all. Or, you know, they're more involved in um, work than they are their family or vice versa. And so how does a man kind of in general, I guess, a more general question, uh, find that balance that he needs, the, the middle ground or the priorities, I guess? Well, of course, the first and foremost would be a biblical thought and truth and allowing the Lord's word to permeate us, to give us those, you might say, spiritual taste buds. Sure. You know, when, I, when I was a boy, uh, I knew this. Uh, milk tasted better out of a jug than it did out of a glass. Okay. <laughs> and so I, you know, I made sure mom wasn't looking. and and But one time, instead of uh, pouring down that silky, uh, substance down my throat, it was more along the consistency of cottage cheese. And uh, so it, it had soured and my, I, my taste bud said spit it out. So there's certain things we need to spit out, certain things that we need to basically realize. So there may be some truth, but there's some lie. We can always distinguish that by, first of all, having a biblical aspect and worldview. Second, we need to have that, the intellect and be able to have the perception beyond ourselves. And the balance is between politics and Bible is simply this. We look at the perfect law of liberty. It says in the book of James, okay, that he be not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deeds. So our founding fathers, as it says in the book of James, they looked into the perfect law of liberty. And it's like the balance that we have between being a man and being compassionate, uh, being strong and, and being tender. Uh, it is, you know, there is great liberty in law. And uh, I look at it this way. Most of the great nations of the world have been great nations of law, but law without liberty is tyranny. 
So a man that has just the, just the legal aspect, oh, that's, that's not a good thing. There have been times where those great governments of law have been overthrown, and then there's been great liberty without law. Liberty without law, Jacob, is anarchy. Yeah. You don't want that either. And so a man draws a balance between liberty and law, between um, having fun and enjoying there's, you know, enjoying life, and yet there's some, sometimes to study and, and practicality. And, and uh, so again, it's, it's a balance between uh, knowing what is biblical, and from there, you know the aspects. It's very clearly seen. Um, the political realm is crystal clear to anyone that has a biblical aspect. The personal realm and relationships is crystal clear when you have a biblical aspect. And it all comes back down to uh, loving up and then being able to love out, to lead, you might say, by following God. Mm -hmm. And to be a man uh, is to also to understand people and to not just, uh, you might say, say this is the way it's going to be, but this is why we are going to do it this way. And so those are some of the thoughts when I look at the balance between politics and, and biblical aspects of one's life. And you can never get them out of context. It's always God first and his word first. And everything else is, is predicated, is based upon that. And so that's the balance, I think, that we should always... Uh, work towards, strive for, um, pray about, and then try to emulate in, in our life as, as men and as Christians and as Americans. Well, Brother Harding, this has been uh, an incredibly enjoyable educational conversation, and uh, I, I really appreciate, appreciate your insight um, and the, uh, your, your years of, of, of work and, and working in churches and, and just uh, what you do, and uh, you taking some time to um, share that with us this morning. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jacob. It's been very enjoyable to talk to you. I appreciate the opportunity. Here on this Memorial Day, I hope you spend a little bit of time first remembering those who gave their lives to have the freedom to be able to listen to this, to have the freedom to worship in church yesterday, and uh, to have the freedom to spend time together like you're going to do later today, or you maybe you already did this week. But I also hope you are thinking about what you can do for our country, for your country. I hope you take something from what Brother Harding said and can apply it to your life right now. Maybe as uh, you see elections upcoming, what can you do to get on board for the causes that you believe in? Uh, local politics or national politics doesn't matter, but uh, you need to be engaged, informed, all of these things that Brother Harding talked to us about. Of course, you can go to his website to find out more information about him, but also to get some education on on Christian, uh, historical freedom, uh, among many other things. And uh, of course, be educated when you vote. Make sure you're connected with your legislators. Have you been able to stop by locally or state legislators? And can you be engaged in your pol political arena, wherever you're at? And then as a man, uh, will you stand? If it comes down to it, will you stand for your right to worship? Will you stand for what's right spiritually? Do you stand for what's right in your own home? Do you stand for what's right in your church? 
do you draw the line where it's necessary? Are you willing to, uh, like the quote he, he used from John Witherspoon there, are you willing to put things on the line and make a sacrifice for what is truly right? There's not too much, there's a lot more compromise than there is sacrifice nowadays. And that's a challenge to me to compromise if I can, but if I can't, to stand and make the sacrifice. Well, I hope you have a great Memorial Day. As always, go check out clean5110.com. Use the code SHEPHERD for 10%. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we'll see you next week.